tonight, we're seeking to answer what I think, and what Pastor Tim has even said he agrees with, is the most important question that, that we could seek to answer. And if that's the question, can I know God personally? Can I know him personally? And uh, as I think of that, just that's a, it's a heavy question. It's a hard question. And before we even hop into that, we have to kind of define our terms, don't we? Like, what does it mean to, to know someone? And what does it mean to, to know someone personally? A couple of weeks ago, my wife, Rebecca, and I uh, went out on a, a fancy date. Now, we, have, we don't go on fancy dates very often. We had a kid a year ago, and that messed up our whole dating life, though we love her. We love you, Cece. Uh, but we decided to go to this place, and as we sit down, uh, we think, what kind of people would go to this restaurant on a regular basis? We wonder, like, who can, who can afford this as, like, a regular restaurant to go to? And as we look to our right, we realize, I am sitting right next to the mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel. Yeah, that was my response. Whoa. <laughs> Rebecca said I couldn't say hi to him, so I didn't. But, no, I, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm thinking, like, oh, I know a lot about Rahm Emanuel, Right? I mean, I know his biography quite a bit. I know his different stances on political things. And now, technically, I can say that I've had dinner with Rahm Emanuel, technically, <laughs> technically. And yet, if I would go and say, like, hey, I know Rahm Emanuel, most of you would say, Pastor Eric, you're a liar. Like, that's, that, that, that's not true. You don't know him. And so I think we would all agree that information and vicinity is not enough to say that we have personal knowledge of something. But hold on a second, because I believe me and, me and Ram are tight. Uh, is, it, is it maybe uh, personal labels? W would that be enough? I mean, he is my mayor, and I am his constituent, right? We've defined our relationship. Uh, and maybe if that's not good enough for you, I know that with enough creativity, I could find some of our mutual friends' friends and become his friend by social media standards. And yet, that's not good enough either. I mean, how many of you have been like me, uh, have a conversation with someone, get to know them enough to exchange information, only to realize that you're already friends with that person on Facebook? It's not vicinity, it's not information, it's not mutual, uh, it's not personal uh, labels, maybe it's mutual interest. I do believe uh, that Rahm Emanuel has some interest in me, at least he has when he was trying to get my vote, and I've been interested in his policies. But that's, that's not it either. There's a deeper sort of knowledge that exists and is implied when we say that we we know someone, an experiential sort of knowing. For those of you who are married, you would say that you know your spouse, and you mean that in a different way than you'd say that you know calculus or arithmetic. You might be an all-out nerd who loves these subjects, but nevertheless, you recognize there's a difference. And it's that first type of knowing that I want to discuss tonight, that experiential knowledge. Many of us have been in the same room as God. We've even taken on labels saying that we're friends of God or believers in a God. Some would even say that they have interest in God and believe that he reciprocates with interest in them, and yet they don't know him personally. 
we recognize knowledge goes deeper. And so the question is, is this even possible? As I thought this question through, I thought, who better to answer the question of can we know God personally than the man who perhaps knew God most personally when he was in human form? That is the disciple who was closest to the God-man Jesus, the man named John. I believe John's gospel, and that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at John's gospel. I believe John's gospel gives three solid yes answers to this question of can we know God personally? Would you pray with me before we hop in? Dear God, would you hide us now behind your word so that you alone might be heard this evening? Help us all to to hear clearly your yes to this question through John's gospel. Be with us now, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first yes I think we see in John's gospel is this. Yes, it's possible to know God personally because Jesus has made him known. I'm referring to John 1.18. You can put that up there. John 1.18 is a part of a larger text where John is telling the story of Jesus. And he says, no one has ever seen God. It's as if John wants to remind us of the distance that there is between us and God. Even the, the great prophets and biblical leaders were blocked from seeing God fully. You think of Moses, how he had to be hid in the cleft of a rock, and he wasn't able to see God. He was only able to see the aftermath of God's presence. Or the prophet Isaiah, who saw a vision of the Lord seated on his throne and described it as vivid and terrifying, even though all he was able to see was the, uh, was the trail of his robe that filled the temple. With only that, he still nevertheless cries out, "'Woe is me, I am ruined.'" Throughout the Hebrew Bible, there's an understanding that for a sinful human being to see God, it would bring about death. But John continues, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. And pause there with me once again. I promise we won't go this slow the whole way through. Uh, He says, uh, if you're looking at this verse and you look at it in context, what what we're going on, uh, what's going on here? is John has been talking about this relationship that God has with God. That's confusing to some of you, I recognize, and we'll unpack it more as we go. But John started off his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word is the second person of what we know as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's that Word up there, that Word that became flesh, to dwell among us. And now as we look at our text, it's this word that John is referring to when he says, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Do you hear that? He has made him known. He is the very expression of God. The word here to make known is a word that's used throughout the New Testament and in the Greco-Roman world, meaning to narrate. Jesus is the very narration of God. He's the story of God in one man fully seen. All we want to know about God and what it means to know him can be found 
and who Jesus Christ is. Perhaps you've been on a spiritual journey. You've tried becoming a better person through good works, meditations, and rituals, seeking to catch a glimpse of God and nature and humanity. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're excited for for where this journey is going to take you. But can I tell you, as, as someone who's been on that journey, having been raised in a concoction of Judaism and Roman Catholicism and having dabbled in other forms of spirituality, that that it's going to get tiring. So would you hear me out for a moment? What if there's a better way? You see, most religions argue that knowing God is the goal of the spiritual journey, but Christianity is different. Christianity says that knowing God is the starting point. Knowledge of God could never be achieved. You can try to better yourself and better the world, and these are good things, but it will never be good enough. This world, and us included, are too damaged by sin. You see, it's not that our divine glasses have smudges of guilt and sin that need to be wiped away, but that the lenses have been cracked and the glass has dissolved into thin air. No one has ever seen God. The British author C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia series, it was made into a movie that's really popular, made the point well when he wrote this. He said, if you're a geologist studying rocks, you have to go and find the rocks. They will not come to you. And if you go to them, they cannot run away. The initiative lies all on your side. They cannot either help or hinder. But suppose you're a zoologist and want to take photos of wild animals in their, nat- in their native haunts. This is a di- bit different from studying rocks. The wild animals will not come to you, but they can run away from you. Unless you keep very quiet, they will. This there is beginning to be a tiny little trace of initiative on their side. Now a stage higher. Suppose you want to get to know a person, a human person. If he is determined not to let you, you will not get to know him. You have to win his confidence. In this case, the initiative is equally divided. It takes two to make friendship. When you come to knowing God, the initiative lies on his side. If he does not show himself, nothing you can do will enable you to find him. You see, too often... We have a very low view of God that, that makes him not God, but more a rock or a wild goat. We're, we're not truly looking for, for something greater. Otherwise, we would recognize that he must first look for us. Once again, the good news is he has He hit the start button on our spiritual journey by making himself known to us in and through Jesus. And that's the starting point. So again, the question, can I know God personally? Yes, and only yes, because Jesus has made him known. So it's possible to to know God because of Jesus, but what's the possibility of knowing him personally? 
We might even ask, is, is God capable of something like that, given Isaiah's reaction and how he almost falls dead just upon seeing the trail of his robe? So what should we say to this? The answer from John is once again a yes. In fact, I think we can give an especially strong yes because it's not only possible for God to be personal, it's actually core to his very nature. One of the amazing mysteries of God that Christianity rejoices in is the fact that while we worship one God, we recognize that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is eternally one being and yet simultaneously eternally three. For this reason and this reason alone, can the Bible say that God is love? Not that love is God, but that God is love, meaning it is essential to God's being that God is in loving relationship with God's self. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father and loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. Our God is an essentially personal being, and so it only makes sense that when making a creature in his image, that's what Genesis 1.27 says, that he created humanity, male and female, in his image, that he would create them for a personal relationship with himself. One of my favorite uh, passages in scripture is in the Psalm, Psalm 115. If, if you're really seeking to, to know God and want to know God, I challenge you to, to meditate on the Psalms. In Psalm 115.3, it says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Do you hear that? He does whatever he pleases. He cannot be coerced to do anything. And so if that's the case, God is not obligated to stick with us. And if he's not obligated to stick with us, then that means life with us is an essential part of his idea of heaven. Do you hear that? Heaven is not just heaven for us. It's heaven for him. He does what he pleases, and it clearly pleases him to be with us. Now hear me, it's not that he had a, a gap in his life or that he was lonely or needy, no. He was eternally content in the community that he had within himself as Trinity. Yet he created us to share his life and joy with us. It, it pleased him to make you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to feel and know his presence. And yet, you and I don't feel that. Something went wrong. Our divine glasses broke. And, it, and it's not just that we don't see him, but we don't hear him or, or feel him. We don't sense his presence. Thankfully, the Bible isn't silent on this either. It doesn't tell us just to, to try harder in our relationship with him. It's actually recognized in the very first few pages of Scripture that we were made for personal relationship with our relational God, but something went terribly wrong. Humanity chose to disobey God, to make themselves God. They embraced lies and hate that resulted in murder, abuse, and false religions. And with that choice, we separated ourselves from God. We took ourselves out of that perfect relational peace of knowing God fully and being known fully by him. 
our relationship with him was broken. But there's good news. That, that first personal relationship before the creation of humanity, the relationship that God had with God's self as Trinity was never corrupted. It is the purest and richest of all personal relationships and in every way is untainted. And here's the beauty that we're about to hit on. Jesus invites us into it. God doesn't leave us to work out our, dis- our dysfunctional relationship with him. Rather, he sends Jesus to invite us in to his perfect relationship. And you're wondering, where are you getting that from? John 17. John 17, verses 20 to 21, Jesus says this, right as he's about to be arrested, he's praying in the garden. He says, I do not ask for these only. He's referring to his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. There, he just might be talking about you. This is a prayer for you. If you would say that you know him, or if you do, come to know him. This is his prayer, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Do you hear that? (laughs) Not just the disciples, not just Jesus's best friend, John, but you and me, if we believe in him, we get to be in him. This This is how much God wants to know and be known by you. He's inviting you in to that perfect relationship. Just, just think about how, how wild that is for a moment. Have you ever had that perfect friend group? Maybe, maybe it's just your family, right? You, you go out to dinner, you go out to coffee, and it's, it's just wonderful. There are no awkward moments, just blissful conversation and genuine love and care for one another. And then she brings her boyfriend. <laughs> and then that person joins and it's not so wonderful anymore. Suddenly there are pregnant pauses and moments of misunderstanding. Do you hear this? Think about that. With all the baggage we bring, Jesus nevertheless invites us in to the perfect relationship that he has in the Trinity. With all of our misunderstandings, we are invited in because he so desperately wants us to be able to know him. And I know what you're thinking, some of you. Not me. You think, not me. I've I've taken advantage of the needy. I've regularly lied and manipulated others. Not me. I've been addicted to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography. Not me. I've mocked and made life hard for his followers. Not me. And yet, Jesus says to the tax collector Zacchaeus, and not just any tax collector, but the the chief tax collector who regularly robbed the people of God, yes, you, Zacchaeus, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus says to a woman he meets at a well who is known for her sexual exploits and feels great shame over them. Yes, you. Drink from me and you will have eternal life. To a guy named Saul from a land of Tarsus who sought and killed Jesus' followers, he sent a man named Ananias to tell Saul, 
Yes, you. Jesus sent me so that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And maybe I'm going out on a limb here tonight. I don't know. But what if the Lord has me here tonight to tell you, yes, you, even you, are invited in if you place your trust in him. As I think of my own wayward heart, I'm just amazed by this. And if you're a follower of him here tonight, you should be too. That he would invite us in and would go to to such lengths as to be tortured and die on a cross for all of our evil so that we might be one with him. It's astounding. It's possible to to know God because of Jesus, and you can know God personally because he invites you in to that eternal, perfect, never broken personal relationship that he has with himself. And yet, we've all had that friend that we've made at a party or event who we bonded with, made jokes with, exchanged information, only to never see or hear from them again. And for many, there's this this question of whether knowing Jesus is just that, a brief experience of knowing and being known that fades like breath on a mirror. Some who've become followers of Jesus and put their faith in him have experienced that. Sometimes things might feel distant. So why invest in that kind of relationship? I mean, is that truly a personal relationship when there's that unknown? I believe John responds to this as well in John 14, verses 1 to 3, where he records this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go... And prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now there's so much happening in this text, but the first thing I want you to to grasp from it is John's third yes. Yes, we can know God personally because Jesus is coming back. We can have a personal relationship with Jesus because he is coming back. Jesus recognizes that our tendency is going to be, is going to, be to, to freak out, that we don't see him or feel him anymore like we used to. And so he says, let not your hearts be troubled. That should be such a solace to our souls. We think of, uh, of Thomas, who Pastor Tim mentioned before, who, who Jesus doesn't roll his eyes at. Rather, he says, come. Touch, feel. Jesus isn't rolling his eyes at you when you're feeling that distance. He gets it. It can feel ethereal at times. For that very reason, he recognizes a need in himself when he is here on earth to regularly get away and spend time away from the disciples, away from the followers, to just be alone with God because he knows that distance. But the good news is that it won't always be this way. 
Jesus told us he's, he's coming back. And he didn't just leave without a purpose. He didn't leave because something better came along. He wasn't offered a better gig in a faraway land. No, the language here that John's original readers would have picked up on is an analogy of an engagement period. The bridegroom goes to build an extension on his parents' house for his new wife to, to come and live in. Now, that sounds wild to us, but that was the practice during those days. Once you got engaged, you go home, build the extension, and then surprise, fiance, come home. We're going to go live with my mom and dad. And I tell you, if I would have pitched that to Rebecca when we were engaged, that we'd be moving in with my parents after the wedding, she would still be laughing these six years later. But, but that was the tradition in those days. Build the extension, come move in. Jesus wants us to understand something. He's contextualizing for us. He wants us to understand that he is preparing for when we will be fully united to him as a husband is to a wife. The Apostle Paul picks up on this language in his letter to the Ephesian church, saying that, that what we know and experience in marriage, when a man leaves father and mother and goes and cleaves to his wife, that whole experience and the most intimate parts of that is actually a mystery, a symbol given to us by God to give us a taste of what will be between Jesus Christ and his church. It's that level of personal knowing that he is saying those who put their trust in him will have. Hear this. We can know God personally because Jesus is coming back so that we can know him fully. Can I know God personally? The answer from John is a repetitive, yes, yes, yes. But... If you don't know Christ personally, if you're here tonight and you'd say, well, I'm, I, that's not me, I, I, I want to clarify that you still have a relationship with God. You see, it's, it's not like Ram Emanuel and me. If Ram saw me on the street, yeah, I call him Ram still. If, if, if Ram saw me on the street, he wouldn't know me from Adam. He wouldn't know if I was a citizen of Chicago or a tourist. He wouldn't know if I was voting or if I wasn't registered. I mean, we had vicinity, information, labels, mutual interest. But between you and God, there is more. The Bible says that you and I don't start off at neutral with God. Rather, Romans 5.10 says that you and I, outside of a relationship with Christ, begin with a defined relationship, a label of enemy. Now, uh, that sounds heavy, and you're wondering, why am I, I'm why am I telling you this? It's, it's because I don't want you to be deceived. And th that's what sin does to us. It, de it deceives us. It tells us to put off knowing God until later. Our sin wants us to believe that it has no effect on our relationship with God, that, that he understands and he isn't offended by it. But as the theologian and philosopher Cornelius Plantiga has said, self-deception about sin is a, narcotic, is a narcotic, a tranquilizing and disorienting suppression of our spiritual central nervous system. Don't be tranquilized by your sin 
this evening. This is not something to, to deal with later when you decide it's good for you. I, I, I just want to be realistic with you, please. Just, just, just hear me out. It's crazy to think. It, it really is. It's crazy to think that today is just a normal day. I mean, Jesus' brother, a guy named James, wrote about this in one of his letters, saying, for those of you who'd say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go to this city, or tomorrow I'm going to go to that city, he says, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's James 4. And his point is this. We're all going to die. Amen. Done. No, that, that, that's a pretty dark note to to end on, but the bright side is, and maybe it's a bright side, silver lining for you on the whole we're all going to die thing, is I can pretty much guarantee that you'll have a nice funeral. I mean, all funerals are nice. People pretty much say only nice things at funerals. I know one of the most common phrases that I've heard at funerals of family members and different things is that all roads lead to God. Maybe you've heard that. I want to tell you tonight, that's right. All roads do lead to God. But the issue is, what will happen when you come face to face with him? At that point, it won't matter how nice your funeral was. All the nice things people said about you on earth and the nice things you'd done will be gone and all that'll be left is the truth. There was a, a church in a city named Sardis that, that Jesus spoke about, and he, he said of this church, he said, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You see, all that matters is the reality of who we are before God, not what other people think about us. Each and every one of us will, will stand before God to be judged, and God tells us ahead of time, spoiler alert, none of us is nice. None are righteous. But being invited into God by Jesus means that when we stand before the throne of God, we will stand with Christ's righteousness in and around us. With Christ, and only with Christ, we're already in. All roads do lead to God, but only the road with Jesus ends there. Hear this, where you stand in relationship to God tonight, right now, determines where you will be with him in eternity. So, do you want to stand with him today? Do you want today to mark the beginning of your journey of a personal relationship with him? If so, it's as simple as this. And I'm just going to use Jesus' words. I don't want to make anything fancy. Here's what he says. He says, repent and believe. Call out to him now. I'm sorry. I'm done with that old, that old life and those old ways. I want to follow you. Would you all pray with me? Wonderful God. Thank you for making yourself known to us through your son, Jesus. For submitting to such humiliation as to becoming human. Thank you, God, for that gift. Thank you for the offer extended to know you and the invitation to be with you that Jesus gives. What a gift to know that we can be one with the Father,
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Lord, for the promise that you are coming back so that we might know you fully. Now, I want to invite you, if, if you want to begin your journey of, of knowing God tonight, would you pray along with me now in your hearts? Would you take that start to that journey? In your heart, God, I believe in you. I believe you sent your son Jesus so that I might know you. Forgive me, Father, for my ignoring you and my rejecting your ways. Work in my heart so that I might follow you. That's the start of the journey. And Father, I pray for for those who called out to you just now, perhaps for the first time. Cause them, Lord, to walk in new life with you and be with, and Lord, would you just be with all of us as we go, that we might make you, the God who wants to know us personally, known to all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.